Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 6. We return here tonight. Carolyn reminded me on our way in that, that I get to preach again tonight. I've had a couple of Sunday evenings where I didn't preach. That, was unu- that felt unusual for me. But I get to preach again. And here we are. And we get to look at God's Word again. And I hope you always look forward to looking together at God's Word when I read and reread verse 27 this week, it struck me as a pivotal point in the text, an important point in the text. So I want to come back to it this evening, and I'm going to go, go just a little bit deeper, and I want to answer some questions I think this, this verse kind of naturally makes us think of, kind of naturally makes us ask, and I wonder if you would um, agree with me that that when I uh, get to these questions, if you would say, yeah, I, I probably would think that when I'm reading this passage. If you stop and, and think about a passage and uh, think about it enough or read it enough and, and look over it enough, you may come up with some questions like the ones that I'm going to address tonight. So look with me at verse 27, John 6, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version again. And Jesus is speaking to the crowd that came and found him at uh, Capernaum. And Jesus says to them, Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Back in verse 24, we learned that the crowd saw that Jesus was not where they last saw him with his disciples the day before, the next day came and they did not find Jesus there. And so they got into boats and they headed to Capernaum looking for him because there had been one boat there that wasn't there any longer and that's where they thought they might find him. So Jesus knew when they came to him and found him in Capernaum, Jesus knew why they were looking for him. Jesus knew they were looking for him, and it wasn't because they believed in him. It was because he had fed them. They were not thinking with their hearts. You could say they were thinking with their stomachs. They had physical needs. Well, yes, they had, uh, they had all kinds of physical needs. And all they were thinking about were those immediate Needs that they have. They were not thinking of their eternal destiny when they came looking for Jesus. But Jesus was thinking about their eternal destiny. The Lord Jesus Christ was concerned about their need for salvation. Their need to be saved from their sins. And so he's trying to point them to this. So Jesus first deals with their physical needs. Because that's what they're thinking about. Jesus first deals with their where their hearts are what they're really thinking about when they come looking for him. What Jesus points to first is their their natural desires. And we have natural desires too. And sometimes those can derail us in our spiritual lives. And so this passage should be helpful and encouraging to us, challenging to us in this area. We have those natural desires too. Living here on earth naturally leads us to think mostly about our physical needs, our wants, our wishes, Our desires, that's not necessarily wrong in and of itself, but it can be wrong if we let them rule our lives 
and we think of nothing but those here and now kinds of things. In verse 26, we heard Jesus say to the people, look at verse 26, Truly, truly, or, hey, this is important, listen carefully. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. You didn't come looking for me because you believed in me as your Savior. You came looking, you came looking, to me, looking for me for something else. He says, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Because you ate your fill. You didn't, you didn't come looking for me because you believed in me. You came looking for me because you were hungry. So Jesus wasn't telling them not to work. When he says in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. He's not telling them not to work. Jesus wasn't saying that work is of no value at all. And he isn't scolding them for being hungry either. That's okay. That's natural. He was recognizing why they were really here. And he was challenging them about why they were really there. It wasn't his miracles that brought them to so great a faith. It wasn't like they had such great faith that they went looking for Jesus because they trusted in him, because they believed in him. No, they had eaten their fill because Jesus had given them food to eat. In fact, he had given them all they wanted, as much as they wanted, it said here in chapter 6. Notice here that Jesus doesn't water down his message to keep from disappointing these people. He challenges where they're at, where their thinking is, where their desires are. It's a temptation. It's a temptation of ours, isn't it? When you want to witness to someone whom you're afraid may be resistant to the truth, it's a temptation to try to soften things up a little bit and give them a a more palatable version of the gospel to to make them um, less resistant, you hope. But Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, It's a sad thing in the world we we live in today that there are a lot of churches actually doing that. A lot of churches that are softening the truth or watering down the truth or just simply throwing the truth aside and not obeying God's word because they want the approval of man more than they want the approval of God. And uh, we need to take that as a warning that we never go there. So Jesus doesn't water down his message to keep from disappointing these people or keep from offending them or even keep from turning them away. Later in the passage, we're going to see many turn away from him because of what he's saying to them. But he knows what they desperately need to hear. So instead, Jesus is confronting their natural desires as a way of making them see where their true affections actually are. Where are your affections placed? He's challenging them, and he's helping them see this. And this should also challenge us to examine ourselves and say, where are my affections placed? Where are my true affections placed? Am I truly devoted to serving the Lord with my life, with every day that he gives me? Is that my highest aim in life? Or am I making something else my highest aim? And and living for Jesus is kind of a secondary thing. Jesus challenges them, as to why they're there. They were only thinking of earthly things. They were only thinking of food that perishes. And people who only ever set their affections on the food that perishes will also perish 
in their sins. If people don't come to the realization that they need to trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, people will perish in their sins just as their food perishes. And so if Jesus wasn't telling them not to work for food to eat, He wasn't saying don't work for food, don't work to provide clothing for your family, He wasn't saying that. If Jesus wasn't saying that, what is this food that perishes? And how are they working for it? Here's the idea that Jesus was trying to get across to these people. And he's using this food analogy. He's using this idea of food because that's what they were thinking. But this food that perishes is anything that would keep them from believing in and following Jesus wholeheartedly. Anything that would distract them from putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And we, uh, we have the same challenges. We far too easily also fall into the same trap. It's so tempting for us to give our best time, our best energy to pursuing all the earthly joys, all the earthly comforts that we can pile up in our garages and storage units while all the while missing the most important, the most important things, the spiritual things that are, that are eternal things. Um, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I've, got a, I've joked before that I've got a, you know, we bought our house, we've got a full basement. My goal is to not fill the basement, to not be full. I don't want a full, full basement. I'd like to be able to move around in there, but you should see my garage. Because i got so much stuff in there, I can't move around in there. Can't get the car in the garage, right? We have so many things. We, we sold a house one time, and we actually, before we listed it and let the realtor come and take pictures, we actually went and rented a storage unit so we could empty the garage so we could take some things out of the house so that it would look like something someone would want to buy and not with all of our stuff in it. It still had some stuff in it, which was scary. We lived in there for a few weeks and we thought, why didn't we, do, why didn't we get rid of all that stuff that we just put in the storage unit? Why don't we just give all that stuff away? Because we're actually living just fine with these few things that we have and we're quite happy without them. We have a lot of stuff, don't we? And our lives are kind of centered around those things. If we're not really careful as followers of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Satan wants you to be overwhelmed with the here and now so much so that you forget about eternal things. That you don't treasure being here on Sunday nights. That you don't treasure being here on Sunday mornings. That you don't treasure time in God's Word at home while you're reading the Scriptures. That you don't treasure time with God in prayer. That you don't treasure time with God's people. Satan doesn't want you to to treasure those things. He wants you to treasure these things on earth. So the food that perishes is anything that would keep these people and us from believing in and following Jesus wholeheartedly. Colossians 3.2 says that believers are to, here's what we're to be doing. But notice Jesus doesn't point them immediately to this. He's talking first about their natural desires. But here we are as believers. My hope is that every one of you are believers in Christ. And if you're not, I'm, I'm hoping that God will open your eyes so that you'll see your need for Christ. But believers need to hear this. Colossians 3, 2 says that believers are to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It's not that you never think of earthly things. The idea here is, is that don't, don't give all of your time and energy to things that are here on earth. Give quality energy and quality time to the things that are eternal. Set your minds on things that are above. You know, you can actually do that while you're doing your earthly work. 
You ever look at the work of your hands and say, God, help me to do this work in a way that pleases you. Help me to do this work and with, a, with a mindset, with the thoughts in my, in my mind and in my heart that honor you as I do it. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You ever think about the conversations, maybe difficult conversations you have to have. Maybe it's with a coworker, maybe it's with a family member or a neighbor. And you ever pray, God, help me to set my mind on things that are above and prepare me for this conversation so that I'll, so that I'll be a godly influence in this person's life and so that I won't dishonor you with my conversation, with my speech. How easy it is for us to lose track of why we're here. God has us here for a purpose. We ought to realize that. We ought to take, take that to heart. Believers are not to live all our lives for the here and now. It's not all about how much we can get as long as we're here breathing. We are not to give all of our energy and all of our time to being physically satisfied and physically comfortable just so we can simply fully enjoy every day we have here on earth. We tend to quickly forget that this world is uh, this, this world is actually not our home. We forget that, don't we? We tend to forget that we're strangers and aliens just passing through. We're here for a season. This this uh, this time on earth for us as believers is like the uh, like the period, a very small part of a long sentence, or even. Or even the exclamation point at the very long, a very long paragraph. Think about that. Think about how much time we're going to have in eternity. It's hard for us to wrap our minds about about that. But but the here and now is what we get entrapped with, isn't it? The Bible gives us uh, many reminders that we are aliens. We are sojourners on this earth. That's why First Peter two eleven says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage." War against your soul. Take that to heart. See, this is where God's heart is. He doesn't want our souls having war waged against them because we're so overwhelmed with the here and now and the stuff that, that can burden us in the here and now. There is an earthly battle going on in a spiritual realm in the here and now. There is an earthly battle going on against the spiritual lives of God's children. And because of that, believers are to live their days here on earth. We're to live our days on earth with heavenly purpose, heavenly minded, thinking of how to please the Lord in the way that we work, in the way that we think, in the way that we behave, in the way that we do business, in the way that we spend time with our families and and, uh, people we love. But the earth is not our eternal home, is it? And we tend to get distracted by that. The earthly and the spiritual battle is what Paul recognized when he wrote this in Romans 7.23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's talking about how difficult, how challenging it is to still be living here on earth with the physical temptations, with the, with the here and now entrapments, and we forget about eternal things, and we forget or we don't take important time to invest in eternal things, giving ourselves to serving the Lord, Lord wholeheartedly, giving ourselves to being influenced by the truth of the Word so that our thinking is changed and shaped 
the way God would have us think and speak and act. Many times Paul points to this in Romans. Let me share another one. Uh, Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We need to practice this, don't we? The testimony of Scripture is make every provision for glorifying God with your whole life. That's what body means here, your whole life. And make no room for simply living to gratify your fleshly desires. Now, we don't know what that is often. Often we're just um, going from one comfort to the next, trying to find out one way to keep ourselves comfortable to the next. I remember hearing uh, Jerry Bridges speak, uh, preach one time. He's written many, many books, and I've said it before, I think, but if you get a hold of a Jerry Bridges book, whatever the title is, read it, because you will be blessed and encouraged. He's with the Lord now, but I remember hearing him preach, uh, getting, getting to go see him preach at a pastor's conference some in Michigan one time, and I remember him joking about he was practicing, he was trying to practice this Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And he was saying, I like to eat ice cream. He was saying, I like to eat it so much, I like having, I actually like having a little bowl of it every night before I go to bed. Like, wow, that's cool. But he said, I decided that I needed to deny myself something, I needed to be able to say no to myself over that, so I'm not entrapped by a bowl of ice cream every night. And he said, so I'm practicing I'm practicing saying no to myself about having a bowl of ice cream every night. Whatever it is that you're, you can think of and point to in your life, it, it might be a helpful thing to point to something that you really enjoy that you don't necessarily need. And, and practice saying no to yourself about that. Uh, you can get through the day without it. Maybe it's not ice cream for you. Maybe it's something else. But the testimony of scriptures is very clear. We are to make every provision for glorifying God with the way that we live. We're to make no provision for gratifying the flesh um, unnecessarily. Yes, we have to feed ourselves. Yes, we have to clothe ourselves. But we can go overboard with that. The people Jesus was confronting were only thinking of their present needs. They were only caught up in thinking about the here and now. They were not thinking of eternity. They were not thinking of their eternal destiny. And do you know why they weren't? They couldn't. They couldn't think about their eternal destiny. All they could think about was how Jesus had worked a miracle and fed them. All they could think about was food. Let's find Jesus. Let's see what else he can do. And they wanted more. They had their mind fully set on earthly things. So much so, it was keeping them from seeing Jesus for who he is. And that's astounding. It was keeping them from seeing Jesus as God in flesh, one to be trusted, one to put their faith in fully and believe in him. 
They were so fixated on the earthly that they couldn't, couldn't see clearly who Jesus was. So now that Jesus has confronted them with their need to put off the entrapments of only living for the things of earth, he proceeds to show them where they should be getting, where they should be setting their affections. Look at verse 27 again. Let me read it one more time here. I may read it again, but let's read it again here. Do not work for the food that perishes, but, this next phrase, but for the food that endures to eternal life. What is the food that endures to eternal life? And how are they to work for it? Again, Jesus is using the food metaphor. He's using this food metaphor because that's what these people were thinking about. I was thinking about this this week, and I remember reading uh, one of, I think it was uh, Spurgeon's book, Lectures to My Students. He's talking to would-be preachers about preaching and I think in one of those I read one time he, that I thought was pretty humorous. He said, if a, if a sparrow gets loose in the sanctuary, the preacher better make the sparrow part of his sermon. Because that's what everybody's looking at. The preacher better make the sparrow part of his sermon. Um, otherwise, you're going to lose everybody. They're going to be looking at the sparrow flying around. Uh, you need to bring people back to the truth. And so Spurgeon's argument is make that sparrow. You better make that sparrow part of the sermon to get people back to the truth that you're preaching. And that's what Jesus was doing with this statement. That's why he's using this uh, food metaphor about working for the food that, that endures to eternal life. What is this food and how, how is it that they can work for it? Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. What is this? We noted it this morning that this food that endures to eternal life is salvation. Salvation from your sins is eternal. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Our, our salvation is not temporary until the next time we sin. It's eternal. God saves us from our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He keeps us. Jesus Christ paid the, the price and the penalty for our past, present, and future sins. Praise God. So this food, work for the food that endures to eternal life, it's salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. All the earthly entrapments that keep us from being heavenly minded about how we live here and now, and you know, one day they're going to perish. We put... Um, the builders who came and put a lot of effort, a lot of effort into giving uh, this beautiful, beautiful place for us to worship, their, their energy and time. And, and some of you came and invested many, many hours of your time to help make this place beautiful. It is a beautiful place, and I praise God for it. I thank God for these comfortable chairs that we can sit in, in this uh, well-lit space and air conditioning. We don't have the air conditioning on tonight. I don't think we need it. But how wonderful it is. But... It's all, it's all going to perish. It's all going to be worthless one day. Maybe, maybe if the Lord tarries long enough, some, someday somebody will excavate and find the remnants of this building in some rubble. Uh, archaeologists are doing that all the time. These things in life that we're giving our energy to, they're not going to last. All the earthly entrapments that keep us from being heavenly minded, they're not going to survive uh, your car, if you just need a reminder of this, your car, 
uh, when it breaks down or starts getting rusty, it should be a reminder to you that everything is going to fall apart eventually. Or if you have to go to the doctor uh, because you have an ailment, that should remind you, right, that, that this world that we live in is temporary. Uh, your house that needs a, a fresh coat of paint is a reminder to you of that. But think about this. The food that endures to eternal life is salvation. The salvation that's ours through Christ. The salvation from your sin through faith in Jesus Christ. So, so maybe now you're thinking of this question. How are they to work for it? When Jesus says work for the food that endures to eternal life. They, were, they work for their food. They work for their clothing. They work for their, their, their housing. Place to live. For a bed and for, for provisions. They work for those things. They work for those things that waste away and perish. But there's something that will never waste away and perish, and that's your salvation through faith in Jesus alone, of course. And we know that that's what this is because Jesus points to it in verse 29. We'll get into verse 29 more fully when we come back to this chapter next time here. But, but this is it. This is the work. It's not good works. Get this. It's not good works. It's not trying to save yourself by being a good person. That is not it. You cannot. It's believing in Jesus. That's the work. And you say, well, that's not work. (laughs) There is work for us to do if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there isn't work to do before then. John 6.29. Again, we're going to look at this in a future study. But John 6.29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe. That's the work. And so it isn't work that Jesus is talking about. How do you work for it? You don't. And that's the point of the scriptures. You work, your work is your faith in Jesus and in him alone for your salvation. That's what these people desperately needed and didn't realize. They were thinking of food. So Jesus points to food and said, those things that you work for, those things that you labor for, those things that you treasure, they're not me. And those things are going to waste away and perish. Labor for this, the food that will not perish, the food that will endure to eternity. What is that food? It is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. How do you work for it? You don't. Your work is your faith in Jesus and in him alone for your salvation. That's what these people desperately needed. And that's why Jesus was here. That's why Jesus walked this earth. And that's why Jesus actually performed miracles so that people would see who he was, so that people would be drawn to him, so that people would believe in him. So Jesus wasn't turning these people away. He was helping them see their true motives. He was helping them look into their own hearts and desires. And he was pointing them to where they needed to be. And they needed to see him for who he is, God in flesh. And they needed to believe in him and be saved. And they needed forgiveness of sins and eternal life, which is what only he offers. And that will not perish. That salvation from sins will not perish. It is an eternal gift from God. Now I think about us in the here and now, we may still struggle with the same kinds of distractions of life that these people were dealing with. Isaiah 55, 2 says, 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Uh, there's an interesting there's an interesting picture that that we see see painted for us there and in fact God through Isaiah was also pointing us to faith in Jesus Christ with passages like this one throughout the scriptures why waste your time in only seeking earthly joy and comfort is the idea why waste your time in only pursuing more adding to what you already have thinking that your your joy now is the only joy you'll ever get to experience all the while neglecting the eternal joy and rest that's found through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, living with an eternal perspective with your faith in Jesus Christ, living your days for God's glory, that's delighting yourself in the spiritually rich food that nourishes for eternity. That's why Jesus confronted the devil with the words that we hear in Matthew 4.4 when he said, it is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, God's word is a treasure. And often we lay, the, we lay a treasure aside because we don't think we have time because we're too distracted by trinkets, temporary trinkets. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is life, and there, there is life that awaits us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. There's incredible life that God gives us, new life in Christ. There's forgiveness of sins that we enjoy, and there is rest that, be, that comes because of that. There's rest and joy and peace that are ours when we know our sins have been forgiven because Jesus paid it all. And there is life through faith in Jesus Christ. There's eternal life, yes, but there is also present life, present joy. And that present life and joy, it only comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven. And that present life and joy is that which only comes from knowing that God is at work in your life here and now. For your good, for His glory. That's also the present life and joy of knowing you have His Spirit living in you. Because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ alone, you have His Spirit dwelling in you. Well, that's what these people needed. That's what they needed to hear. That's what they needed to understand. That's what we need. But the next question, verse 27, leads us to is this. How could these people know these things were true? The answer to that is at the end of verse 27. Look at the end. For on Him... Speaking of himself, remember, remember he said, do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal, to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. First notice that again, we're reminded that the work that they are to do is simply faith in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's their work. It's a work of faith. So Jesus points to that because the food that endures to eternal life is what the Son of Man will give to you if you put your faith in Him, if you believe in Him. 
They cannot earn their salvation, nor can we. We can't do it through good works. Just put your faith in Jesus, and Jesus will give to you the food that endures to eternal life. So again, the question is, how could these people know these things were true? Jesus' answer is that they could know that this was true because God the Father has set his seal on him. And that's another question. How has God done that? How has God set his seal on Jesus? And I pointed to this this morning. Jesus is pointing to the fact that God the Father sent him for this purpose. God the Father sent God the Son on mission to be crucified for sinners. God the Father commissioned God the Son, and that is setting his seal on the Son. 2 Corinthians 5.21 points to this, saying, For our sake he made God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In him, that's through faith in him, believing in him. These people could know these things were true, could know they were for certain. They could trust in Jesus because God the Father sent God the Son for that purpose, so that all who trust in him would be freely given the food that endures to eternal life, freely given salvation from sin. Romans 5.8 points to this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 Timothy 2.5 points to this also. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Praise God. This was why Jesus came. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. God the Father has sent God the Son to be the sacrifice for sinners. These people needed, more than anything else, they needed to believe in Jesus and be saved. Then they needed to devote their lives to living for God's glory. That's the work we take up after we, by faith, put our trust in Jesus. Salvation is not our work, it's the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. After he saves us, he calls us to obedience, and that's our work, this side of heaven. We already have his approval, we have his forgiveness, and now he wants us to live up to our name, live up to our name as saints in Christ. These people needed to believe in Jesus, and they needed to devote their lives to living for God's glory, and yet some of them were going to turn their backs on him and walk away. And that's why God still has us here, because there are people still here in this world who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Here's, our, here's the call to believers, and here's how we're to live. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've been saved by Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, here's our work now that we're believers, if that's true of you. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in 
God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And we have that to look forward to. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, we have that eternal destiny to look forward to, don't we? May God's word challenge us once again to never forget these wonderful truths that are ours if our faith is in Christ. And to never forget that there are people around us who who may reject the message, but they still need to hear it. And it's our role. This is why God has us here, to live for Him, to glorify Him, to make our highest aim, to bring glory to God with the way that we live. Yes, while we do our work, that is God-ordained work, to provide for ourselves and our families, but yet not to be so wrapped up in our work that we forget the spiritual side of life, the most important side of life. May God's Word challenge us once again to never forget this and to live our lives for His glory.